collaboration is like you do get the wind in your sails from other people. I mean, it is you can create things you never could do alone at your desk. And that feedback and that mutual inspiration is very valuable. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways Podcast. This season, we're talking to musicians and the visual artists they collaborate with to create iconic album covers, videos, posters, and merchandise that make music so much more than just what you hear. These are the stories behind the music of some of your favorite bands or bands that are about to become one of your favorites. On the show, you're going to learn more about the bands you love, get turned on to new music, and uncover the secrets of great working collaborations that you can bring into your own creative practice, no matter what you do. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a diehard music lover. I'm an illustrator for bands and a creative producer. I'm obsessed with the way visual art and music can combine to make something memorable and moving for our eyes and our ears. On today's episode, I am so excited to be joined by two brilliant creative minds. Anais Mitchell is a singer-songwriter, creator of the eight-time Tony Award-winning musical Hades Town, and one-third of the folk rock supergroup Bonnie Light Horseman. That's the band we're going to focus in on today. This new band with Eric D. Johnson of the Fruit Bats and multi-instrumentalist, producer, and national collaborator Josh Kaufman is also nominated for two Grammy Awards. Aeneas is a powerful songwriter, performer, writer, and creative collaborator. And alongside Aeneas is one of my favorite band poster artists ever. Someone who has only been in the game for a handful of years now, Aaron Denton joins me and Aeneas to talk about their creative collaboration for Bonnie Light Horseman in poster artwork and single artwork, and his work creating for bands like Stereolab, Slow Dive, Krungbin, and many more. In this interview, we go deep into the backstory of where art meets music for Bonnie Light Horseman, Aeneas and Aaron's unique creative processes, what they look for in a successful creative collaboration, and how Aaron applies his artwork like an effects pedal to the music he loves for the bands he collaborates with. I think you're really going to love this episode. I started off by asking about the origins of Bonnie Light Horseman. Let's go. So we're like a brand new band, but all of us have been making music for many years in different ways. Myself, Josh Kaufman, who is a guitarist and producer and has worked with like The National and His Golden Messenger and a bunch of amazing bands. And then Eric D. Johnson, whose other band is The Fruit Bats, and myself. And we made this record. I'll go into later how it came about. It was sort of mystical and of the moment and just this unusual project that I think we all were hungry for, but we maybe didn't plan on. And then we were sitting on this record that we just we felt like so in love with and wanted to put it out in the world. And we were trying to figure out how to do that and, and who to work with on that. And I think that before we met you, Aaron, we had kind of discovered and figured out that we wanted to use this photograph right. for our debut LP, which is a photograph that was taken by Eric's amazing wife named Annie Beattie. And I had just met Annie and I was like scrolling through her. She's a really gifted photographer. And I was looking at these photos in this picture of this horse's face just really struck me. And I think that 
Josh had also had the same thought, like he was looking at it, and there's something about it. Obviously, there's a horse in the name of our band, so right, there right. was that connection. <laughs> but I grew up in the countryside, and I had a, I had a horse when I was a young woman, and I oh, also wow. had the like horse obsession where. I read all the books about horses, you know, and I would like <laughs> go to the tack shop and look at the bridles and the saddles and want them and things like that. And I had this horse and I had this this feeling about the horse that the horse could kind of understand me. You know, there's their eyes are so huge and emotional. And so I wasn't surprised when I heard about the story of Eric's wife. So we said, you know, hey, th- this photograph is really like jumping out, could this be a cover of an album? And Eric said, yeah, let me talk to Annie about it because it's a really emotional and special photograph for her. I guess that her dad had just died and she had driven to his place to clear out his house and was driving home from that experience with like a truck full of things. Wow. Just like processing her loss and the sky was full of storms and she pulled over on the side of the road and there was this horse in a field that just ran up to her and she communed with this horse in some way like we're like as though the horse received her grief you know and she took these photographs of it and one of them is the picture of that horse that's on the cover of the record what a beautiful connection to the band and also the stories in the songs on the record are so rich and they're full of so much human heartache and grief and turmoil. And to think that the connection, not only in the image, but the backstory of that image, there's so much story and emotional depth to it. That's amazing. That's really powerful. Yeah, it made like emotional sense. And the thing about that photograph is that it's so close up that it's one of those things, it's almost like you don't know what it is because it's so close up. But then, you know, it's just the muscle of the jaw of the horse and the eye that's so bright. I think we also liked that it was a sort of a, it felt like a found object. There's been a simplicity to a lot of the making of the music and we wanted the album art to feel that way too. And so we met you, Aaron, I think because you've done a bunch of work with Kevin. Is that right? Yeah, I had been doing some stuff for people through Kevin. And Kevin is someone who lives in Bloomington, but I didn't know him. (laughs) And we started working together and... I was doing layouts for some of their LPs. I, this was one of the first ones. Was this the first one, maybe? I think it probably it's was. Possible. Yeah, we had a phone call. I was on tour. I think we were in Pittsburgh playing. And I, before the show, had a first phone call with you and Eric, I think. So Kevin's connection to the band is through the label or no? Yeah, Kevin works for people. Records, okay, so gotcha. Which is um, a label that is also run by the guys from the National and Justin Vernon of Boney Bear. They've put out a few records, and I've since gone on to do layouts for a lot of the records. So you laid out this album. Yeah, the artwork on that label tends to be photo-based, so I knew it was just... I guess the relationship with the band is interesting because in a very short time span, I did a lot of different design work for them, <laughs> you know, shirt, an album layout, a single, a tour poster, all within the span of a few months or so. So it was just a lot of emailing and a lot of like intense back and forth. But yeah, so we knew we had the photo and it was a beautiful photo. And the layout work was just mainly about keeping things pretty simple and focused, which is what the record I think is about. We were just using like your pinky finger on that LP because like your work is so incredible. And we learned about you from Kevin and I started looking up your stuff and just like, 
I mean, just flipped for like anyone can go and see your portfolio. You've done posters and album art for so many bands, and it's just extremely beautiful <laughs> um, color and shape and a lot of abstract stuff and then stuff that where it's like the abstraction of a concrete image. Yeah, yeah, which we ended up making it abstract in a way for a tour poster. Right. Was it actually the cover photo that was then taken and, and kind of redesigned and illustrated by you, Aaron, for the t-shirt and, and poster and the EP or single? Yes, we're just taking the image and breaking it down to shapes and adding in different abstract elements. But yeah, it's been cool and unique to work with a band that I was familiar with all the separate side projects and getting to be a part of something that I knew was going to be kind of important. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just listening to that record, I remember listening to it in the back of the van on tour, like on the way to Pittsburgh, I think, and just being like, whoa, you know, because I, I do lay out work pretty quietly. And I don't share that stuff a lot. And I do a lot of it just for different labels and stuff. It's just kind of part of my, you know, work life. But this one, listening to the record and just being like really excited, like this is a beautiful, great record. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so funny that we've never even seen each other. I know. <laughs> because I just, you know, the amount of emails we've sent back and forth, it's yeah. just the enormous amount of uh, details that go into all this work. So it's it's interesting to be able to talk about that collaboration now a little bit. And it's also, we started doing a layout and then it was kind of like, we evolved that into to the rest of the work that I, I typically do, which is a little bit backwards than I normally do it, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, totally. So I think the thing that you were able to do with the record, which is what we wanted, this is with the LP before we did this whole other, where we really tapped you more for your creative artistic brain was like to make an object that felt like it was a found object and like it could be like I remember wanting us wanting the font to feel like not the kind of font you'd see in a record store but like more like a library <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> where like yeah. you go to the audio library and there's the like stacks of you know Smithsonian folkways like <laughs> collections of sort of academic almost yeah, like a catalog or something like that, I, I think yeah. we were talking about. And yeah, that's how it ended up kind of looking. I think we succeeded a little bit with that. It's just some texture and pretty simple type treatment. But another aspect of people is that the back of the records are pretty busy. So there's a lot of text. It's kind of like those, like a Blue Note record or something like that. It has like a little tale about the record or like a little description of it. And then all of the players and things like that and track listing and it's which I love doing figuring out how it's just such a little puzzle figuring out how that all that text is going to work but yeah I think that kind of was the leading idea for the layout is just keeping it pretty simple and making it feel a bit worn and a bit yeah like a found object which I thought was cool do you feel like it kind of nailed that precious object, like recording, like kind of monument, both in sound and physical good for you in terms of what you all were going for with the project? Yeah, I think the whole thing was like, with the music, really, because it's like these reimagined ancient folk songs, it felt like we had an attachment detachment thing, you know, with the music where it was like, great, we could really inhabit it almost more than I would inhabit a song I wrote that was like, here's my latest statement. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, 
you can almost the way you can dance with a mask on kind of. Wow. But we're never going to own that music. We made it our own, but it wasn't ours. And it was sort of like, oh, wow, like this thing happened. We didn't want to hold too tightly. There's a wide open quality to a lot of it. And I, and the way that the record got made, you know, um, we talked about the people and half of this record got made in Berlin at this artist residency that was put together by those guys. So Aaron Dessner and Justin Vernon being the kind of like two ring leaders of that. And then a bunch of other people who are making that stuff happen. There was a found object quality to that. Also, it was almost like a field recording because we were just like in a, <laughs> in this weird like East German building and people would pass by in the hallway and we'd be like, hey, can you come play a drum, you know, on this thing? And the folk music was very easy for people to get in on, like to get right. into. It did feel like there was a field recording quality and then and then that's what the package ended up being as well and but it was also very cool that that thing was so simple because then when we went on to work on the tour poster it's actually a different photograph than is on the cover that's of, what i of thought right but yeah. it's from the same series but it's oh, yeah. but it looks more like a horse <laughs> you know <laughs> like, so a little so more a little more in the in the shot yeah and aaron was maybe more able to abstract that because the abstract photograph, maybe it would be hard to, I don't know, but there was more shapes to work with for you. Yeah, it was pretty much the polar opposite of what we were trying to do with the record. Because at the beginning, I think I was trying to maybe introduce like some color to the photo. And we had some different versions where the text was maybe on the cover or something. But then we ended up just going with the original photo, of course, which is always what happens. And then, yeah, so when we got to do the poster and then the seven inch, yeah, it was just kind of like letting loose on that the desire to add color. I really like the dialogue of making something that doesn't look exactly like it would be folk music. Like when you're looking at it, I think there's a really cool tradition of that too in the history of design. And, you know, obviously like Milton Glaser working on Bob Dylan stuff and like Peter Max things where, or even like Nick Drake or something where, you know, he has this cover that is super surreal and crazy, but then it's these super pretty simple folk songs. There's a tradition of that. So I, with the tour poster, I was thinking what goes well with this folk, you know, this like beautiful ballad folk music I think something like maximal. I think it's good to contrast it a little bit sometimes with something that like really pops because if there's something funny about that or maybe I, I don't know why that has been a recurring thing in, in folk music, but yeah, I was trying to tap into that a little bit. And Aaron, I've heard you talk about past collaborations where, you know, you'll just basically deliver the goods and, and that's it. But I also heard you talk about a lot of emails back and forth. I'm wondering like on that kind of recalibration and, and reimagining of the horse image, was there a lot of back and forth or was it just like run with it, Aaron? And, and when the band saw it, it was like, yep, we got it. No, this has been one of those clients that are like, I know what's going on. I know what they want me to do. And it's typically pretty straightforward. I've always felt like Bonnie Light Horsemen are great to work with because they respond so quickly and so enthusiastically. You know, most clients lead with what they don't like. <laughs> yeah, you can tell when people have done this before. This is kind of the dream collaboration when you have someone who understands that relationship and has a bit of, a bit more respect for 
the creative act, I guess. I, I, I sense that at least, you know, like sometimes working with younger bands or working in the music world, but not necessarily working with the creative people in the music world, which just you get feedback that is a little wishy-washy or whatever, but it was pretty direct. I, I, I guess my, my mention of the emails was just when you're laying out a record, there's so much information to get right. And there's just so many moving parts to show and options to be had. So yeah, by the time we were done with that, there was a lot of communication. And then these additional projects, though, went really smoothly. <laughs> Maybe like first draft on the poster? Is that, is that I summer? think so. I yeah. mean, it's so beautiful. It's really, I have it framed in my wall. Oh, wow. That was one where I, as a strategy sometimes, when there's a deadline and it's kind of close, I'll just like throw everything into the first draft. And just, <laughs> just to the point where it's like, I can't think of a way to make this better. So hopefully no one else can. And that's the sort of my strategy. And that's I did that for this one. So it wasn't it wasn't so much of like, this is what I'm doing. It was like, here it is. <laughs> so Aaron, yeah. do you ever I'm just like curious, do you ever um do you ever give someone like multiple options, but you just kind of make a couple like half-ass options just because just so that they'll realize how brilliant the one idea is? Have wow. you ever done that? Uh typically when people uh, yes, I have done that. There, there's a there's a danger in that though. So I'm also an illustrator and and artist, and the danger, like the saying goes, like don't show the client the version that you like the least because that's the one they're gonna pick. Oh no, <laughs> that's definitely true. I would say don't show a client something that you wouldn't be happy putting out into the world. But that's a really high bar sometimes. I think that's a lot of pressure on someone who, you know, when there are deadlines and there are things to be done. But what typically happens is, and this is the best thing, this happens a lot with bands specifically. I'll be like working on artwork and the draft will be something or I'll, I'll really throw myself into it. And along the way, I don't, I'm really bad at saving. I'm really bad at like stopping and documenting the process and I just go on until it's really what I consider to be like an airtight design. And then I'll send it. And then the feedback that will come back sometimes is like, what if we did this? And I had already done that like years ago, <laughs> uh, you know, like in, in, the, in the process of getting to the first draft. And it sounds pretty arrogant to like be like, I've tried that and it does not work. <laughs> but sometimes you just got to go back and, it is like a collaboration. So it's fun to go back and kind of just be like, I'm never like, here's an option. I'm always just kind of like, here's what I was talking about. And usually when people see it, you know, as long as the communication line is good, if you've like talked to someone on the phone and you put out there that I'm fine with this being a collaboration, then they get it. If you can explain the idea, people respond to that, you know. So, but then there are other like when you're working for a newspaper or like a publication and there are art directors, it's a whole different game because it can kind of feel like a game. You want the client to make the best decision, but it's sometimes you have to be strategic about it <laughs> and kind of like, yeah, maybe show someone something later on that you didn't put your full energy into, but you can't put your full energy into every idea. There tends to be like one idea that you're like, this is a good one. I'm going to really try on this one. 
<laughs> was there something about the posters and Aaron's work kind of when you were out on tour and bring it to life? I almost think like, you know, it's a black and white photo. It's in the studio. It's kind of, you know, it's this document. It's this record, literally. And then out on tour, it's living, it's breathing, it's performance. And there's color in the poster. There's color in the, you know, at the merch table. And like, you know, it's hanging on your wall. There's there's something there, too, that really connects as a through line in like the visual and outgoing world. Is that something you felt kind of as you're out there and now like putting this album into living motion? Definitely. It's exactly what you said. I would have said it if you hadn't said it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it felt like it was full color and we were on tour and the tour was so brief and we sold out of those posters so fast, Aaron. I mean, it was, I think we had them at one show or two shows. Oh my was, gosh. I've gotten a lot of emails about those because I, I think that those were... Some of the last shows some people saw. I, I got several right. I got several emails that were like, Can I buy this poster? Because I meant to buy it and then this is the last show I saw before, you know, everything shut we down. We should print just, some more. We should just yeah. print some more. I'll talk to Dean about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe cool. we can make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say before we were talking about that, that like I've had that experience that you're talking about with visual art. I've had that with songwriting. When I'm writing for something that's sort of assignment-based, which Hades Town, the musical that I wrote, was that way for many years where it was like, there's a whole team of people, there's a director, there's a whatever, and certain thing has to be achieved dramatically. And I would try many things, you know, as you do, and I would arrive somewhere and... Anywhere that I had arrived, there had been 10 directions I went that didn't pan out. Yeah, right. And for me, I was like, I was always in that position of feeling like I was being arrogant by being like, I tried that. It didn't run. It didn't run, you know? <laughs> the the idea is that you want, <laughs> it's kind of a magical way of thinking, but I think that a client can see it. I tend to think when someone opens something up and looks at it, I hope that they can feel all the drafts. It's like a painting where there's, they put it in a you know scanner and you see all the other paintings that are underneath it before it got to the one. I think that you can feel that where it's just, mm-hmm. man, I mean, that's, that's what I tried to do is just get something to where I can't think of any other way to do it. And I've like reached the limit of my eye. And typically that works because you're just trying to like catch ideas and usually there's only one that you really fall in love with. So it's, you know, by the time you're there, you kind of already got it. And if it doesn't work out, then it's probably just not going to work out. <laughs> I don't know. With Hades Town, that that must have been a, such an interesting creative space to live in. In that these are songs. This is your story, and now you have this whole kind of incredible team of collaborators, and you need to like bridge that creativity and that kind of original sparks into a different thing where, where other people need to be a part of it, needs to serve different purposes. Did you have to like gear switch often between like songwriter, singer, kind of owner of this, you know, the, these precious children and change in kind of hand over or sharing creative ownership in that translation? Yeah. I worked on it for so many years that there yeah. were different phases of that. It's like 13 years. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't continuous. Like there's times I wasn't working on it, but but for the last few years, yeah. And ideally, the material would work for me. I could feel proud of it at the level of like poetry, but also it would work for, you know, it would be inspiring for 
the director to stage. It would be inspiring for the orchestrators to arrange. You know, it'd be it would be working for at multiple levels. And then there was other times when it was like I had to choose between what worked for me and what was working for the show. You know, for someone else, but collaboration is like you do get the wind in your sails from other people. I mean, it is, you can create things you never could do alone at your desk or whatever. And that feedback and that like mutual inspiration is like very valuable and accountability, you know, to other people. But as far as that kind of like editing thing goes and the feeling of ownership and the wanting to not overstep in the communication, like that's all so tricky. And I think certainly... I think it's helpful in the theater world when people have like, they have their roles. So, and that the way you speak to someone, like the way that I, and I'm sure I'm like, have been guilty of not doing this, but like the way that I would feedback to Aaron would be like, it would be great if this would feel more, I don't know, sunny or something (laughs) and not be like, could you make a brighter color of yellow in this particular (laughs) quadrant of the thing? Because that's Uh his choice and that's his domain and, He's the master, you know? And that's, for me, like, if someone's like, this song needs to do more on behalf of this character's sense of vulnerability. But for someone to say, how about this line, you know? I'd be like, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever the line is, even if it's good, I don't want to hear it. There's something about the detail. When, they go, when, when, when someone goes into detail, it's very easy to dismiss for me. But when it's super abstract, I love that. I wasn't doing art or design before I started doing it for musicians. And I think it's based on that back and forth. And I love how musicians and other artists dialogue with the visual world because it is a lot unlike art directors in the more sense of like that is a job because musicians are way more abstract. And I just love it because I love the communication of deciphering that and kind of figuring out what that means to me. Right, there's room to play in there versus like an instruction booklet you get back from someone and you're like, well, where where do I fit in in this? Mm-hmm. It's just more challenging, so it's more rewarding. And it also feels like you're both headed the same direction together instead of it being this face-off with another person who's like, well, I did this. As far as collaborations go, that's kind of why I like working with musicians the best because they're not afraid to be vulnerable with like their criticism or reaction to things without it feeling like it's a battle or something like that. It's it, it never. I mean, at least the musicians and bands that I work with, it's never been like that, you know. And it certainly wasn't like that with Bonnie Light Horseman. Yeah, well, Bonnie Light Horseman was definitely for me like a just a release, a total release. And I started working on stuff with Josh when it was a couple of years before we went to Broadway. So we still had a production in Edmonton and then a production in London. And these were like the most stressful times of my life, you know, and it, and is, and actually heading into Broadway, I'd never been more stressed out in my life. <laughs> like, I just like barely sleeping, like, you know. Was it standing up the production or was it also the weight of the pressure of like, this is Broadway, yeah. like make or break time? Totally. All of the above. And it was like, you know, and also I think for me, just the weight of having lived with it for so long, worked on it for so long and, and it being like, here's the end game, you know, this is whatever it is. It's frozen in time. I remember an interview you did, I was listening to where you were like working on the the lyrics, I think up until the very last moment before it was like lock, lock, lock. Yeah. 
And there's something fun about that. And it's a whole machine. I mean, there's like, there is a very clear sense of like the deadlines and the hierarchy of like, here, you have to get this song done to give it to the copyist who's going to like transcribe it and then give it to the music director who's going to then teach it to the actors. <laughs> and there's this like 10 minutes it's going to get taught in a rehearsal. And then there's a preview that night. And it's sort of awe-inspiring that that world even exists and works at all, like the Broadway world. It's just so many people, these whole villages, of like ecosystems of people that have to get along and make a show together. It's really incredible. But for me, yeah, it just was like such a relief to play some music that I didn't have all that anxiety around. And a lot of the songs are in open tuning, in open D on the guitar. And I had never really explored that until I started working with Josh. And then like all of the Bonnie Light stuff is open tuning. And we're basically like, you can, you could just let go. You could smoke a cigarette with your left hand and you still would be playing the song because it's so simple. And there was a moment where like, I would have to go back to regular standard tuning to write my Hadestown songs because they're all in standard tuning. And right. it felt like I was like putting on a corset, you know, <laughs> to write these songs. Like, okay, get some copy and like put on the standard tuning and try to make it happen. That freedom comes through in the t- in the songs, you know, all the songs on the Bonnie Light Horseman record, right? It just, that the openness in the, in the chords is, is heard, but also just like the free flow of the voices and the songs. I mean, I also, you know, heard you say it was like drawing from like this deep well, you know, these songs that are hundreds and hundreds of years old, just tapping into them. And I think that that just, it it comes through in the sound in Mm. such like a, like a breath. Oh, that's cool. And it's a good reminder. I mean, because the truth is, and I don't want to say, it's not like I didn't have moments of like great joy and inspiration working on Hades Sound and times when it was easy. You know, there were those times. I think the great reminder of doing folk music is that... At some level, it's all interpretation. Do you know what I mean? We don't come up with these things from scratch. We're standing on the backs of all these thousands and thousands of songs and stories that have come before us. And like, it's a matter of tapping in and not thinking that you have to come up with it from scratch. And I don't know if it feels that way, you know, visually as well, but there's only so many notes in the scale. Like there's only so many images you can actually draw on. So it's nice to just tap into that and then try to access it from other angles. If you're, you know, writing different different kind of project. Yeah. And Aaron, I'm really curious in terms of your creativity and your artwork. You mentioned this, but this is something relatively new to you. Like you didn't you didn't go to school from my understanding for design and you were playing in bands, you were working at restaurants and started doing gig posters and it just started to happen and this is all in the past like few years. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's new to me. I Since 2018, I've been doing it, so not very long. Yeah, music is the thing I was trying to make it as, you know, and it's still a big part of my life, but this has taken over. And I feel similarly about design. I feel like my technical knowledge is, you know, proficient now, but I am like tapping into something older and definitely like certain traditions. And I think it's fun to see how anytime you do that and that's what you think you're doing, you're really just translating it into the, you're, you know, you're morphing it into a, a whole new thing. It's almost like the more you try to tap into it, the more you distort it and it comes out something completely different. It's amazing how even from the beginning when I was like making posters and, and doing like some artwork stuff, just thinking I was 
I'm just copying these artists that I love and admire or like designers and stuff. And then looking back on it now and just seeing something completely different. So I definitely relate to that notion of it's all one thing and you're kind of just one part of it. You're kind of carrying a visual. For me, it's kind of carrying on a visual language that I think other people have mastered. And then I'm just kind of through stuff like this, you're like, well, it's not, you know, is really Milton Glaser who I was thinking about. Uh, but then it, you know, it gets lost in that translation eventually. Aaron, it's pretty staggering that you just started doing this because your work is incredible and there's so much of it. Oh, it's, thanks, You've yeah. been so prolific and it feels like you have such a voice that is sought after at this point. Like people want to see what would come out, like almost like a player on a record, like, you know, Let's see what would happen. With it's a little bit like that. It's, I think of it more as like a like an effects pedal or something. Like, <laughs> let's see what Aaron would make of this idea, and then it comes out all weird and strange. But yeah, it, it has been brief. I I put a lot of energy into it, really unreasonably early on, <laughs> just <laughs> like financially. Like you know, I was not making any money doing this and uh, I just got fascinated by it and I realized that the things that I was interested most about music (laughs) were actually about art for example like I'd have an amp or I'd get a guitar and it was way more important to me about like what that guitar looked like (laughs) and like what that amp looked like and like what what these effects like I remember thinking about like I have these pedals like a little pedal board and I was like, I can't get this pedal because it's not the right color. And I was just obsessed with like putting things together like that. And I thought that I was really interested in music. And I, I, I am, but I'm realizing now it was more, I was excited. I was more about like, I'd have an album art in my head and I'd work backwards to, towards the music. And then I started to discover that like other musicians are not doing that. Like I'll talk to musicians when we're, they get approached about doing some artwork and it's just kind of like, they've made a record and that has all these amazing aesthetic decisions, you know, but then they're like, I have no idea. I don't know about the artwork. And it's like, <laughs> what is it? I'm realizing like most musicians don't do that. So I think the the reason why there is so much work is just because I was finding the thing that I was like maybe a little bit more meant to do. And I, I didn't know it. It was fun really early on, just kind of going wild. And it didn't really feel like there was much pressure to it too. I think that's another key is, Sometimes when you when you think you got to be so precious about like the thing that you think you're supposed to be doing. Yes. And then when you're a creative person and then there's an outlet to play, when you choose that lane, I kind of feel like you can really like go fast in it because that's the best feeling is surprising yourself and I wasn't doing that with music really and it was really I was pretty like standard <laughs> to say it. but uh, in art I I would consistently be like, well, I have no idea where this came from or what this is about. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of what it's about, you know, so. Mm, that was really beautifully said. Yeah, it's just incredible. And your work with The National and Slow Dive and Stereo Lab, it's just so beautiful. And there is like an iconography in there. It's crazy. I mean, I love those bands. So, you know, The National, <laughs> that poster I did, I came to that show in Indianapolis, which is just, you know, up north a little bit. And it was crazy. I mean, it was a huge, you know, national place, giant shows. And we were like hanging out. I was just like, man, I've been listening to this band since I was like 12 years old or something like that. And I, I didn't ask to do this poster. It's just, 
you find yourself in this world that becomes so, so small the more you get into it. And yeah, all those bands, I mean, they just mean so much to me. And they just kind of like, I hate to say it, but it just kind of came to me. Like I never yeah. asked for any of that. And, and, and then to be able, sometimes like when I get a commission for like a slow dive poster, it's like, I was meant to make this slow dive poster. I've been like <laughs> groomed for this. You know, there were, there's several moments already in, in my design career. I've been training to make a stereo lab poster since I was in middle school or something. It's just, I know exactly what this is. I think that I'm, I can visualize music, I, I guess is like, and I always have been. So it's kind of easy to immediately come up with an idea that feels appropriate really quick. That's what I wanted to ask, like that idea you said of of applying the effects pedal to the music. Is that what you're doing? Are you are you listening to the music and just naturally imagery is starting to come into your mind? Like what is kind of like the loose process for putting that effects pedal on? Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's listening to the music and knowing what feels appropriate and then also knowing when to like break that and to do something completely different. And it's also based on where a band or a musician is at in their career. Like, do I need to make something that is super loud and will like be like, listen to this band? <laughs> There's been several times where I've I've done that. I mean, obviously posters, that's kind of like the function of them. But I think I make rules for myself really quickly. And I feel like I know everything I don't want to do faster than I know what I do want to do. And then when you just start working like that, it doesn't take long to find the appropriate thing. You know, there's lots of things that they give you. Like band names are like, they look a certain way. And some band names are super long and and you're just like responding to them visually. And if you sit with that for a while, it'll like show you what else to do. I don't know. This sounds, I've never really put this in word. I feel like I kind of <laughs> I feel love like it. a crazy person. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's never been intimidating to me at all to like get started on a project. And especially when it comes to music, because I, I think I understand it quick. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Aeneas, from an outsider's perspective, I see your incredible career and I just see this whole kind of universe of collaborators around you that have either, you know, been like attracted into the sun or, you know, have been connections and sparks of creativity and, and joy comes from it. That's kind of from the outside. From the inside, as the, as the creator, I'm curious what it's felt like to kind of move over and through this career, starting as a, a singer-songwriter and, and then moving to Righteous Babe and then getting things going with Town. How do you kind of think about your life as, a, as an artist in terms of all these collaborations that have been such important touchstones to your work? 
Yeah, there's been a lot of different chapters. This is an interesting time. It's very like stock-taking type of time <laughs> for me yeah. and I think for a lot of people. But for me, especially because Hadestown is finally, you know, it's done. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what comes next? And what a cherry on top of that. I mean, I don't have to say it, but eight Tony Awards. Yeah, you better Grammy. say it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, congratulations. What Thank you so an incredible, much. incredible feat to bring it just all the way through. I mean, how many people get that opportunity to bring a creative project all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way through to fruition and then receive the recognition of the community in that way? Gosh, that's got to feel like the best sort of weight <laughs> to have. I'm so grateful that we took it all the way, you know, because <laughs> it was like, I wanted that from before I knew I wanted it, you know? I wanted to yeah. like, I wanted it to be as sort of full of a version of itself as it could be. It had all these different versions, you know, but it was, yeah. there was an early sort of more abstract theater, DIY theater version in Vermont when I was in my 20s. And then there's like the album that we made. I really respond to what Aaron said a minute ago about like basically the freedom and kind of play when you're like, when you get in that lane where you could surprise yourself because I definitely have found that to be true again and again. And I also, I forget it again and again. Like, you know, there's a time when writing Town, I felt like I was cheating on my songwriter career to do this weird musical, you know, like, what is that about? You, I, I'm not a musical person. Like, it felt totally random and probably not financially viable, <laughs> you know, all these different oh, wow. things. Right, and then it turned out to be like, oh, actually, I was kind of made to do this. Like the yeah. kind of, the way that I write lyrics and the the way that I enjoy collaborating and working with different mediums like this is actually the perfect thing for me to do. And and then in a way, my songwriter stuff felt extraneous or I don't know. I definitely, again and again, have have wanted to turn to folk music. Like Bonnie Lee Horseman isn't the first project. I also did like this ballad project with my friend Jefferson Hamer, which was reinterpretations of the child ballads. And at the time that that began, yeah, it felt like random kind of, or it felt like a side project. I guess this is the, this is the real wisdom for me is that like what feels like the side project might not be the side project. But side project energy is maybe good energy to bring into something you care about, right? There's like a looseness. There's like a, you know, I don't have to worry too much about this. Because your ego's out of the way at some level, right? And that's that's the power of Bunny Light Horseman, I feel like, to me. I mean, even to me, it was addressed like, I kind of remember Kevin being like, oh, this is like a side project of these three, you know, superstars. That's exciting to me. I always love those kind of things because there isn't too much consequence, you know, to like your personality. And I think when you do that, you're really opening yourself up to be fully creative without really knowledge of it because you're like, this doesn't reflect back on who I am. This is just like something I'm trying. And I think it's, it's that's always the, the the sweet spot for like making something that is, well, you want to look at it and not really recognize yourself in it. That's kind of the pleasure of art, I think. The letting go. Yeah, letting go and having the art kind of stand and look back at you in a way and like, it's like you don't recognize it. You know, it's just this thing you made. And yeah, so I think like, it's wild to hear you talk about that in terms of feeling like a side project to your musical career. And then you end up, you know, all these accolades and it's this, you know, huge thing. 
Yeah, two Grammy nominations for the album and just such an incredible reception. Anais, were you surprised by it? Yeah, I mean, I do know that like we felt pretty in love with the music when we were making it and when that record, and we didn't really know if we were making a record when we were in Berlin at this thing. We came home and listened and was like, wow, like kind of love that, you know? So it did feel really exciting to put it out. And Grammys, like, no, not expecting that. I don't think any of us were. (laughs) I think, like, it's just not the world that we really roll in. And what a cool thing to be recognized alongside of some of our heroes and, and obviously much, much, much more established bands than us who are brand new. I wanted to just go further with what you said about, like, standing aside from the art because I think that's, like, what I do it for in performance, and I have all kinds of up in my head, you know, some of them are bad, some of them are good, whatever, but there's some moments where you almost are like in the audience, like the music coming through you, you might as well be in the audience listening and enjoying as well, where you don't feel it coming from yourself. And I think it's easier to get to that state sometimes playing with other people, like playing in a band, which hasn't been, I've done a lot of solo work. And so like being a Bonnie Lee Horseman, not being the lead singer all the time, standing back and it's looking, you know, it's kind of like rocking out with the drummer <laughs> a little bit and like playing my acoustic guitar part and that, and but feeling a part of this music that's coming through. That is awesome. That's why to do yeah. it. Yeah. I think searching for that egoless zone where you're able to truly enjoy and take pleasure in the thing that you're creating is so rare. And that's really what drew me to being in bands. But this design thing, working on art and collaborating with bands, it's it's brought that. It's it's a lane to creativity because I'm serving in my head, I'm serving a bigger purpose. So it's, you know, when I make a poster, I'm making this thing that's going to meet up with all these people that are going to like literally stand around all evening and watch these other people doing this physical thing. It's a link, you know, and I don't really create anything otherwise, you know, I I don't make art for art's sake. I make art to communicate with other creative people and, and to other things. You know, that's, that's, that's my lane. I'm pretty comfortable in there. I think that's because it's the only way I can find a really egoless center to make something that is unique. I think that's the only way I can do it, or at least I've found that I could do it. Anais, we were talking about this side project energy, and I know the first I think the first gig that you all played, you didn't have a band name. You didn't really have a set of songs. You had kind of like a ticking clock that you had to like figure out a set. It was for Justin Vernon's festival. Yeah, for the Eau Claire Festival in 18, I think. Yeah, right, in 2018. And so just talk me through a little bit about how the concept for the record came together. Like, how did you all find each other in this way and say, let's let's focus on these kinds of songs and, and bring them to life. Where did like the way you all play and the way your voices meld kind of match with the the content, so to speak? So I met Josh Kaufman because I was put together with him to do a track, which is a one-off track by a label called Brassland, together with Kate from This Is The Kit. I was excited to do it because I love Kate. And also I had sort of been admiring Josh's playing and producing from afar for like years. So I met him and and we hit it off and like really enjoyed working on that track and then realized that we both were interested in older folk songs and especially like British Isles type of stuff. And 
we started to kick some songs back and forth, not really knowing where it would go, but just for fun, kind of. So Josh and Eric have been friends for years, and I had recently discovered the Fruit Bats. Embarrassingly, like, I tweeted at him. (laughs) I heard the Fruit Bats, and I was really into it. And I tweeted at, like, I love the Fruit Bats. And I was surprised (laughs) when he tweeted back, like, oh, hey, you know. It's me. And so we were Twitter friends. And Josh was going through LA where Eric was living at the time and said, you know, I have just have this feeling about my friend Eric, like maybe he would be good for this music. And I was like, yes, do it, you know, because I just tweeted at him. It was kind of like a cosmic, you know, convergence. And I think all three of us were just, we were like hungry in different ways for a project like this. We were coming at it from all the other things that we were doing and it felt like like a release and like it was going to be nurturing for us. And I had no idea if like, would we sing well together, me and Eric, you know, I didn't know like how that all would go down. We both are kind of very lead singers, like we're have the sort of like laser beam vibes. <laughs> like <laughs> sometimes like I, I'm not a great harmony singer because I can't blend. Like I just, you know, and he's that he's got that thing too. And but it somehow using them together, using those voices together, it felt like we could we'd meet on the same plane. And yeah, I think we all brought different stuff to the music and most of all just like a real like love for the music and a desire to get lost in it and to be and to be carried away by it. And so we got this gig at Eau Claire. We didn't have a name. I thought we'd be like in the woods. You know, if you've ever been to Eau Claire, there's all these different stages. Some of it, you never know what's happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> like some people are like playing in the woods and like it's like a rave, you know, you have to know. And but then there's our set turned out to be on this huge main stage with just these huge like stacks of speakers. And we were, you know, we didn't, we had just barely put together a set. But I have to say that it was the faith that those guys put in the project, really Justin and Aaron, you know, at that time that were like, whatever you guys are doing, we support it. (laughs) And we were like, okay, you know, we certainly wouldn't have made the record we did if not for that occasion to rise to and then going to Berlin and and just having the opportunity to work. I mean, the cool thing about those guys also, I think, and people in general, is that they're now like an established record label. Like it feels like they're just, they're another record label in the ecosystem of record labels, but especially at first and still in terms of their ethos, like they're trying to create something different, a different space. They're really trying to create community and collaboration. And I think they're trying to create side projects. Do you know what I mean? Both Justin and Aaron, I think, have gone pretty deep in the world of like, you are Bonnie Vare and this is how you're going to tour and <laughs> whatever. And I think they're both like, they're so excited for all the creative outlets they can get that aren't like them being them. You know what I mean? Both of them have lent their voices to so many different projects that like... Yeah. It feels like one of the most healthy responses to success... I've ever really encountered. Like, let's take our notoriety and fan base and share it with people who deserve it, who also deserve to be heard and listened to. It's it's admirable. And the records so far, I mean, they're all great, you know. Yeah, they're really like they're trying to create a space for people to put the art first, like really at its heart is to put the art first and the community first. And going to Berlin, it wasn't like you have to, prove anything or produce anything. It was like, hey, come here. We're going to give you healthy food and like 
place to stay and we're going to give you microphones and like give you space and do what you're going to do. And it was, wow. it just felt so, I almost cried to just be good. Like, I was like, how did we get here? How is this possible we're being taken care of like this? And it turned out to be a really like beautiful way to make art. Mm. So I'm wow. grateful to the, I'm grateful to them and, and they're continuing to, you know, expand what it is that that organization does, but we owe a lot to them. Amazing. And Anais, I, I wanted to make sure we touched on this before we wrap the interview. Your connection specifically to the visual arts and artists, and I know there's stories and connections from your musical life where art has inspired song, and then art has then gone on and played such an important part in, in Hades Town. And I'd love to hear a little bit of that story behind the artwork of Hades Town and the, the connection to your songwriting. Yeah, I'll just tell that one story. And I hope, Aaron, at some point you'll get to meet Peter Nevins, who's this artist who did the artwork for a bunch of my records, but especially like for the Hades Town album. You guys would totally get along. And he, I was realizing when you were talking, he's also a musician, that making music is a big part of his life, but it's not like where his, it's not his livelihood, you know? He found that like, he can make a life as a visual artist, and he does a lot of work with musicians. But I think because he's a musician, he's coming at it with this intuitive just sense. I think the story that you're referring to, Rob, is just like when we made the Hades Sound record, I commissioned him to make these portraits of each of the characters that were right. that were in the show. And one of them was an existing portrait that I had seen, one of his linoleum cut prints. And I was like, this is reminding me of the character Persephone, and could we make portraits of all the characters. And he did that. And usually we would talk about the character in advance of him going to work on it. And we would give them an object. So like Persephone has this cup. And so Hades is holding a little songbird on his finger. We would speak about the characters and what they would have. And we hadn't spoken about this character. I'm showing for the audio world. I'm showing my tattoo of Eurydice, who's holding a, a flower. And we hadn't spoken about that. He just sort of showed up with this image of the Eurydice character with her eyes closed holding a poppy, what looks like a poppy flower. And I was right in the middle of like trying to write a song for that character for the album. And I was just terribly stuck for months. I don't know. It was terrible. I really wanted her to speak for herself and I couldn't figure out, you know, where to go with it. And then he sent that picture and I ended up writing this song, which is called Flowers. It just was the right image. And I, and I was like, Peter, why did you give her that flower? Like, we didn't talk about that. And he said, you know, it just felt right. And it did. And so then this song became really sort of flowers as all kinds of things, funerary kind of flowers, like drugs, like opium and numbness. This is all connected to the underworld. Just talking really fast about my thing. <laughs> and uh, and also the connection that she has lost to the above ground world and like her lover and the flowers of the field in the above ground world that she'll never see again because she's in the underworld. It became really important. And then later that concept, that flower, it went through a whole bunch of different, you know, versions of itself, but it became a real visual touchstone in the Broadway show. And it's like the picture, the iconic picture of Hadestown on Broadway is like a hand holding this flower. And it's a it's an indelible part of the story. And it really came from this visual artist who was tapping into the myth that we were all, all of us who were working on the project as we've talked about during this podcast, like we're in service of this larger thing, which was the myth. And is like right. almost like a sculpture in the stone that you're everyone's chipping away at it. And when you get, it's, it's already in there. And it's like you're chipping away and you see the flower and it's like, oh yeah, that's the flower. There it is, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, but it was very like, 
beautiful and humbling and exciting kind of collaboration to have had with Peter. That's amazing. Yeah. And the, the connection's just instant and it works in so many different ways. Well, I can't wait to see the show. I'm such a fan of the music and the story, and I'm hoping that uh, it makes its way out to San Francisco after after all of this, and I can go out and see Fingers it. Fingers crossed. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. Thank you both so much. This was just such a, a lovely time together, and I really wanted to get to know you both better and learn more about your process and the collaboration with Bonnie Light Horseman. And it's just been so, so great to talk all together. I can't thank you enough. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thanks for having us. And Aaron, great to hang out with you. Yeah, likewise. Hopefully once the world comes back, we can do more things together. I'd love it. Thanks so much for listening. Big thanks to Aeneas and Aaron for joining the show. What an incredible conversation with these two people who are in a lot of ways at their creative zenith in their work. It was beautiful to hold that space together. Props to Dean Christensen at Space Bomb Group for making this happen. You've got to go listen to the Bonnie Light Horseman record. It's somber and inspiring. It's an everyday lullaby so lovingly performed and sung. These are songs that are hundreds of years old that have been given new life through these masterful interpretations. And if you don't know Aaron Denton's work, definitely visit him on Instagram or at AaronLowellDenton.com. I took so much away from this episode, maybe the most important thing being to follow your intuition in pursuing what's right from a creative perspective and finding those collaborators in your life who share your vision, want to support bringing your vision to life, or the people who you see a vision in that you want to be a part of and support what they're doing. There's so much to be said for the inspiration and impact that can come from people working together to create incredible art. I hope you'll subscribe and share this podcast with a friend too. And if you like what you heard, please drop us a review or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It would mean so much. Making Ways is created, hosted, and illustrated by me, Rob Goodman. Audio engineered by Brian Paik at Pacific Audio. You can learn more about the show at makingwayspodcast.com. You can find the show on Instagram at making.ways. And if you have a project with music and art you want to work together on, reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Be well and see you soon. Thanks again for listening.